Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. สวัสดีครับ. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program, and we're going to be doing a guided loving-kindness meditation session together. This Sunday, we covered the Brahma Viharas, which include loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And since we discussed the Brahma Viharas in Sunday's class, and today we're doing loving-kindness meditation together, I thought what I would do is spend some time to help you see how loving kindness plugs into the Eightfold Path because in the Buddhist teachings on the path to enlightenment, the Eightfold Path is the path to enlightenment. And it's important that you build your confidence in your understanding to understand how these teachings connect together and how to practice them on an ongoing basis. So I'd like to welcome you to our class today and just go ahead and get started with sharing with you details about loving kindness, loving kindness meditation, and how loving kindness connects into the Eightfold Path. So first, let's just look at the four different types of meditations that I share related to this path to enlightenment. The first one is breathing mindfulness meditation. This is the primary form of meditation that the Buddha points to on a regular ongoing basis where he ensures that he communicates to students that this is the meditation that led to his enlightenment. And of course, there's others that he taught as well, but this is the primary form of meditation that he taught because the primary problem that he discovered that's causing discontentedness is craving, desire, attachment. And this meditation eliminates that. So because the primary problem that is causing discontentedness is craving, desire, attachment, and the primary objective of the path to enlightenment is to eliminate discontentedness, then eliminating the cause of discontentedness is what's going to take a priority in terms of a path to enlightenment in your practice. So he mentions in the teachings that he did breathing mindfulness meditation three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. And this is what he used to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, where the mind has this mental longing for something with a strong eagerness. So when the mind moves off the breath, a practitioner is cutting that off, letting it go and coming back to the breath. We're not trying to eliminate the thoughts because even an enlightened being is going to have thoughts. But what you're doing is you're putting more and more space between the thoughts 
as you're stilling the mind and you're quieting the mind. Initially, when you first get started, the mind is oftentimes bombarded with thoughts. And this can happen for many months until you build up and you accumulate more and more benefits of your meditation practice. But as you focus on the breath, having mindfulness or awareness of mind, you know that the mind is on the breath. And then more and more, you become aware when it's off the breath. And when you see that it's off the breath, you're able to cut that off and let it go and come back to the breath. And by focusing on the breath as your single object of concentration, you're developing focus and concentration or singleness of mind. So this is what we're cultivating in our breathing mindfulness meditation practice is mindfulness or awareness of mind and concentration or singleness of mind. And we're working to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. It's a really simple technique that you just focus on the breath wherever you observe that the mind is off the breath you cut that off and let it go you breathe in gradually through the nose and you exhale gradually through the nose experiencing the full breath and taking a nice natural breath not a forced or controlled breath but a nice gradual breath and when we do loving kindness meditation today we're going to do a little bit of breathing mindfulness meditation first then we're going to do loving kindness meditation and then we're going to do breathing mindfulness at the end loving kindness meditation which is what we're sharing today and what i'm going to guide you guys in is to eliminate anger hatred and ill will and all those lesser versions like frustration irritation annoyance and so forth it will even help you eliminate resentment and other feelings like this and you're cultivating loving kindness for all beings loving kindness is the exact opposite of anger hatred and ill will and then there's these other two forms of meditation that are kind of specialized and only used in unique situations but every practitioner is going to need breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation as part of your tool belt in terms of getting to enlightenment because they address two of the main problems that the buddha discovered remember craving anger and ignorance are the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots and this is a certain description of the unenlightened mind and what plagues the unenlightened mind and then there's these 10 fetters which are a more detailed description but there's this understanding of what's happening at this higher level of craving anger and ignorance and there's certain solutions that we implement at that level and then the more detailed description we understand the problems more detailed in a more detailed nature and then there's certain solutions for those at the detailed level so breathing mindfulness meditation is addressing the craving loving kindness meditation is addressing the anger and then to address the ignorance you're not believing the teachings you're learning you're reflecting doing that inward looking to determine whether these teachings are true and then you're practicing the teachings to see the transformation to the mind and this is helping you to acquire wisdom that's what's antidoting the ignorance so there's these teachings that we're applying using meditation to eliminate craving and anger and then we're using the teachings to independently verify them accumulate wisdom and then apply more and more of all the other teachings because as you guys know generosity is also helping to eliminate craving and there's other aspects of these teachings as well so these are the four meditations that the buddha taught in this first two are primary forms of meditation that 
every practitioner would need to understand and practice in order to progress to enlightenment because it's addressing two of the three major problems that the Buddha discovered. Next, let's just refresh your memory about loving kindness so that you understand what loving kindness is, even though we just talked about this on Sunday. What loving kindness is, is it's this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. It's a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. It's not judging or trying to determine whether somebody deserves your loving kindness or your goodwill. It's just having goodwill towards all beings, not interested in causing harm to any beings, essentially. Having this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, be peaceful, be safe. You'll hear this in the meditation that I teach is that these are thoughts that you're cultivating in the mind through affirmations and then you're going to move into practice that you can practice through your intention speech and actions this loving kindness so as i just mentioned loving kindness is the antidote or the wholesome root that remedies anger hatred ill will and the lesser versions it helps to eliminate the harshness bitterness hostility the resentfulness from the mind essentially that unskillful conduct that is motivated by anger hatred and ill will in those lesser versions of frustration irritation annoyance that unskillful conduct that happens through the intention speech and actions as you eliminate the anger hatred and ill will and you arise this loving kindness in the mind then you will have a tendency to also eliminate that unskillful conduct where you'll be able to be gentle and kind and loving and polite and friendly and respectful to all beings right now you might not be able to do that and that's okay because you're working at this as you eliminate craving more and more as you eliminate anger more and more as you arise this loving kindness in the mind and you start practicing more of the path of right intention right speech right action and others you'll see that you'll be able to train the mind to no longer be harsh and bitter and hostile or resentful towards other beings in your intention, speech, and actions. And as I mentioned in Sunday's class, you're kind of rewiring the mind to be able to do that. And there's this transformation process where you might be quietly frustrated or quietly annoyed, but outwardly, you're able to at least practice in a way that is more loving and kind than what you used to do in the past. And then gradually over time, as this transformation occurs more and more, not only will you be outwardly practicing loving kindness in your intention, speech, and actions, but inwardly, that's all that you'll experience in the mind. Eventually, by the time the mind moves to enlightenment and it has eliminated that fetter of ill will, it's impossible for the mind to experience any anger, hatred, or ill will. That ill will gets eliminated as the mind moves into the third stage of enlightenment. In the first stage of enlightenment, there's still ill will in the mind. In the second stage of enlightenment, ill will has been diminished or thinned, but by the time you get to the third stage of enlightenment, all ill will has been eliminated and it's impossible for the mind to actually get angry at that point due to the training that you've done. And of course, by the time you get to the fourth stage, which is Arahant or enlightened, you've already eliminated ill will and it's impossible for an enlightened being to experience any anger, hatred, ill will. They're not going to be harsh or bitter or hostile or resentful in any way, but there's this transformation that you're going through over many months and years as you arise more loving kindness, it's pushing out this anger, hatred, and ill will. 
And as you understood on Sunday, if you attended Sunday's class or you listened to the replay, is loving kindness is one of the Brahma Viharas. And in chapter 14, you can see content there about the Brahma Viharas. And you can reference the discussion that I did on Sunday if you have questions about the Brahma Viharas in general. And you're always welcome to follow up with personal guidance as you need that. Let's look at how loving kindness is part of the Eightfold Path because I mentioned this on Sunday that the Eightfold Path and the Brahma Viharas are connected, but because of just covering the Brahma Viharas in general, I didn't really go into detail about where loving kindness plugs into the Eightfold Path. So here I'm using the words of the Buddha to help you see his Eightfold Path in that central core teaching and how loving kindness connects into it so that you understand that it's very important for you to cultivate loving kindness as part of your path to enlightenment. So in the Eightfold Path, the second step is right intention. This is where you're cultivating the right thinking or the right thought about how to practice the rest of the path, essentially. Right intention has three aspects to it. The intention of renunciation, which is the intention of letting go, not holding on to things, letting go of untrue opinions or beliefs or views, things that the mind's holding on to in terms of craving, desire, attachment. So renunciation is the willingness to let go. And then the intention of non-ill will. Non-ill will is the same thing as saying loving kindness because non-ill will it's two negatives right so non-ill will is good will and good will is loving kindness so here you can see where loving kindness plugs into right intention that the buddha teaches as part of his second step on the eightfold path to have the intention of loving kindness or having the intention of good will towards all beings because why would you ever improve any of your conduct or anything else that's part of the path to enlightenment if you still had ill will in the mind? So what you're doing is you're gradually transforming the mind through meditation in order to practice right intention where you have the intention of goodwill or non-ill will. And then he hones in on it a bit more where he says the intention of harmlessness you know, this monk's is called right intention. He shares this as part of his eightfold path where you're not interested in causing any harm to other beings. There's harmlessness. And, you know, just walking down the street, there's going to be harm, right? There's going to be ants. There's going to be insects under our feet. It's not about not causing any harm, period. It's about not causing any intentional harm. In order for there to be unwholesome results, there has to be intention behind decisions that you make. If you're just walking down the street and there happens to be an ant under your foot that you weren't intentionally attempting to kill, but it dies as a result of you just walking down the street, you weren't intentionally walking and stomping your feet and crushing beings under your feet with hatred and anger, you're just walking down the street. So. We say harmlessness, which is the intention of practicing harmlessness, but we know just walking on the face of the earth, there's going to be some type of harm that's going to be incurred by our activity, but we're trying to lessen the harm by practicing harmlessness 
and understand that in order for there to be unwholesome results that are experienced, there has to be intention behind it. You would have had to have willed a decision or an intentional decision in order for there to be unwholesome results to be experienced. Just walking down the street isn't going to incur any kind of unwholesome results because you're not intentionally attempting to kill a particular being. Same thing if you're walking in a field to harvest a apple or harvest a broccoli or cauliflower of course there's beings there that are probably incurring death through our cultivation of broccoli or cauliflower or an apple but the intention is that we're cultivating and harvesting these foods for our well-being and these worms or insects they're in the animal realm they're not going to be able to experience enlightenment there and they're going to need to get a rebirth into another existence in order to get to either the human or heavenly realm anyway we're not there to kill those beings and of course if we saw one we would walk around it but because of the nature of the animal realm they're going to be constantly dying and constantly being reborn but the way that the Buddha teaches is part of right intention is to have the intention or the thought that we're not interested in causing harm to other beings. And this is going to motivate our decisions and our speech and our actions. So here, the next part that I'll share with you where loving kindness plugs in to the Eightfold Path is under right speech. The Buddha gives this framework in the Eightfold Path, which is a certain level of of detail, a certain layer of understanding in the Eightfold Path, but then there's other teachings that plug into the Eightfold Path. So in the Eightfold Path, the certain layer of detail that the Buddha talks about with right speech is he just speaks and says, you know, that we should speak the truth, that we shouldn't speak harshly, we shouldn't slander people, and things like this. He talks about not having frivolous speech or idle chatter, just some very basic things like that as part of right speech in the Eightfold Path. But then in other parts of his teachings, he expands upon what right speech is because he can't include everything all in one place because as students learn, they learn gradually. So the Eightfold Path is a certain layer of detail of teachings. And then when you look in the five factors of well-spoken speech, which is another layer of detail around right speech, you understand that he teaches to speak at the right time, what you say is true, speaking gently, speaking beneficially. And the fifth factor is uh, what is spoken is spoken with a mind of loving kindness. So how could we speak with loving kindness if we didn't have the intention or the thinking or the thought of goodwill, which is the second step? Right speech is the third step. So by cultivating in the mind and meditation, this active goodwill without judgment, this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, now through our intentions, we're practicing non-ill will, we're practicing harmlessness, and then we're able to bring that through in our speech that we're speaking with a mind of loving kindness. And then he doesn't explicitly say it in right action, but if our mind has loving kindness, then our actions are also going to be practicing this same intention of non-ill will and harmlessness as we move about the world with our body, we're ensuring that we're not causing any harm through our bodily actions. And then here's a place where the Buddha is speaking. He's speaking to the monks where he's talking about speech prior to this. 
and he's talking to the monks about how he's encouraging them to speak with the five factors of well-spoken speech, speaking at the right time, what you say is true, speaking gently, speaking beneficially, and speaking with a mind of loving kindness. And in that same discourse, he's reminding them that even though you might be speaking with the five factors of well-spoken speech, other people aren't going to be speaking with the five factors of well-spoken speech. Those people might be speaking untimely, and they might be speaking with lies. They might be speaking harshly. They might be speaking unbeneficially, and they might be speaking with a mind of inner hate. And he's reminding them of this. And then he gets to this point in the discourse where he then explains to them, okay, even though other people are speaking untimely, they're speaking what is untrue, they're speaking harshly, they're speaking unbeneficially, and they're speaking with inner hate, when you encounter somebody who is speaking in that way and interacting with you in that way, he says, herein, monks, you should train thus our minds will remain unaffected and we shall utter no evil words. We shall reside compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness without inner hate. We shall reside enveloping that person with a mind filled with loving kindness and starting with him, we shall reside enveloping the all-encompassing world with a mind filled with loving kindness abundant, joyful, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. That is how you should train monks. So he's saying even when you encounter somebody whose mind is essentially polluted with craving anger and ignorance and they're functioning in a way that is unwholesome and unwise, he's saying you should still function with this loving kindness. So this loving kindness meditation is highly important in order for you to cultivate the mental state, this healthy mental state that we talked about in the Brahma Viharas, in order for you to practice all these other teachings. It would be very difficult for you to practice something like right intention, right speech, and right actions if there was inner hate in the mind or there was anger, ill will. And with this understanding, one of the things that you can come to is that when you observe anger arising in the mind in your daily life, since the mind is not yet enlightened, you're going to experience this. Then you can kind of choose to step away and not have contact with people when the mind is really angry or hostile or aggressive. You can understand as part of the five factors of well-spoken speech that it wouldn't be the right time for you to speak to other people when you know your mind is angry or hateful or you're having frustration or irritation or annoyance. So you can do that in your practice. It can be a very wise decision that with mindfulness or awareness of mind, as you see these anger, hatred, ill will, or frustration, irritation, annoyance arising in the mind, that rather than try to rush in there and have a conversation and solve a problem why the mind is angered, instead it's better to step away take a few minutes or a few hours or a few days to allow the anger to subside, work with breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation to calm the anger. And then when you can arise this loving kindness, that's a better time for you to then have the conversation. And this can be a wise decision that you're making where in the past without this wisdom, we might've just rushed in there 
and had a conversation and attempted to solve something thinking that we had all the best intentions in the world trying to solve this problem but meanwhile we didn't understand that the anger hatred and ill will that was in the mind we didn't have right intention at that point and when we were talking we actually made the situation worse so by gaining this wisdom you can actually step away from a conversation put it on pause and then have a conversation later when the mind has arisen this loving kindness and you can actively do that through breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation so let me just share one more thing before we open up to questions is here's some more content from the buddha around loving kindness because he talks about it at multiple times in his teachings and i've just extracted a few parts where he mentions loving kindness so that you can have confidence that loving kindness is part of this path to enlightenment and that loving kindness meditation is something that you will need to do regularly in order to transform the mind and get to enlightenment here this first one he's talking to his son rahula and he says rahula develop meditation on loving kindness for when you develop meditation on loving kindness any ill will will be abandoned this is how a fully perfectly enlightened Buddha speaks. They speak very clear, very precise, and very concise. They just say things very clearly because they're explaining and illuminating this path to enlightenment. They're not speaking in ways that you have to kind of figure out and interpret and all of these other things. They just say very clearly what it is that you need to do in order to get to enlightenment. So here he's explaining to his son to meditate on loving kindness and by doing this, that it will eliminate anger, hatred, ill will, and all of this will be abandoned from the mind. This is how you eliminate anger, hatred, ill will from the mind is by meditating on loving kindness. And then you can't just bring loving kindness into the mind through meditation. You also need to practice it in daily life through your intention, speech, and actions. You need to have politeness, kindness, friendliness, and respect cultivating loving kindness and meditation is like filling up the gas tank and then you go out into the world and you practice through your intention speech and actions to have loving kindness towards other beings and that's what this next one is he says loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will so developing loving kindness in the mind through meditation and then developing it through your practice of your intentions, your speech, and your actions, this is what's going to abandon ill will. And ill will is one of the fetters, one of the three poisons as well. This is what's hindering the mind and keeping it in the unenlightened state. So when he talks about abandoning ill will, he's helping you to understand how to eliminate the pollutions of mind that are keeping it trapped in the unenlightened state. And then here, he talks about this next teaching. He says, suppose they ask, but what friends is the reason unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned? So the reason why unarisen anger, so any anger that's currently in the mind, he's saying, this is the reason why it won't arise. And any arisen anger that has already arisen in the mind, he's saying, this is how to abandon it. He says, you should answer the liberation of mind by loving kindness. That's the way to eliminate any anger that's arisen and any anger that's currently in the mind to ensure that it doesn't arise. He's saying liberate the mind or give this freedom to the mind 
by loving kindness. For one who attends carefully to the liberation of mind by loving kindness, unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned. This, friends, is the reason unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned. So by practicing loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in your daily life will ensure that anger that has arisen can be abandoned and that anger doesn't arise in the first place. And eventually you get to the point where that fetter or that pollution or that taint of ill will has been fully abandoned and eliminated from the mind that it's no longer there and it's impossible for a mind to actually experience anger, hatred, and ill will once you've eliminated the fetter. As long as that fetter is in there, there's still going to be the potential for anger, hatred, ill will, and those lesser versions to arise. But once you fully eliminate the fetter of ill will, it's impossible for the mind to become angered, having hatred, ill will, or even frustration, irritation, resentment, and these other discontent feelings. But your mind is in transition and working towards that. And it's loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life that is going to help you accomplish that. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have before I introduce you to the meditation itself. The way that you ask questions is put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. In Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. Yes, sir. Let's go to Max. He has his hand raised. Yes, sir. Uh, so my 13-year-old daughter frequently uh, has frivolous speech, and being a 13-year-old uh, daughter, some of it is includes being dramatic or drama with friends and whatnot. So how would I help her understand frivolous speech? And then the second part of the question, I guess, would be um, how can I calmly stop her from her frivolous speech or being uh, trying to talk about drama? Yeah, I can share a few things with you here, Max. And then in a couple of months, I'm going to be teaching a class about how to share the path to enlightenment with children. This is something I did in the retreat in America. I taught this class. So I'm going to be teaching it online in November. But let me just share a few things with you here is the number one thing to remember is always focus on your own practice and cultivating your own wisdom because the more you understand this path to enlightenment and cultivating your own wisdom, you'll be able to share that with your children, in this case, your daughter. And then the next thing is understand that you can't actually change your daughter's speech. She has to be willing and interested to do the work herself. She has to be the one that chooses that she's interested in doing this and being able to see it as a problem. So the first thing you might be interested to do is help her to see the problem in her speech. And then the third thing is introducing her to the teachings and helping her learn something like the five factors of well-spoken speech, helping her see those in the book. And I've detailed very specifically what each one of those factors are of the five factors of well-spoken speech and how to practice them. So in order to 
help somebody, they have to be interested in cultivating wisdom. Because the reason why we have frivolous speech or idle chatter, the reason why we speak harsh, the reason why we speak with lies and other things like this is because of our ignorance, the unknowing of true reality. And then because of our craving and anger, this is what's motivating all of our unskillful conduct is craving, anger, and ignorance. So what transforms this is wisdom. And the only way to cultivate wisdom is someone has to have the interest the goal, the objective to cultivate the wisdom. So you'll have to kind of help your daughter to see the harms that are coming to her as a result of her lack of wisdom and her speaking in this way. And then this could potentially motivate her in order to learn and then practice the teachings. But it has to come from within her. She has to have an interest to learn and practice. And you might need to be skillful in helping her to see the problems that she's incurring as a result of her unwholesome speech. And then, of course, not making her feel bad or that she's a bad person or she's done anything wrong, just helping her see that she's lacking the wisdom of these teachings and that you're willing to help her and guide her to understand it if that's something she would like to do. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Uh, I see that Tonka has her hand raised. Let's go to her for a question, sir. I was wondering about gentle speech. I have a resident, as you know, I work in a retirement home, and when I approach her to provide a personal care, and I speak to her gently, she's very resistant, and she won't cooperate. And then my coworker comes, and she speaks very harsh to her. In my opinion, it's very harsh. And this lady just gets up and she listens to her and everything goes well. So I'm not sure about how to approach those situations because obviously gentle speech doesn't work with her. Yeah, so in that situation, it's important not to have a craving to get this being to do one thing or another because if we have this mental longing, strong eagerness to get this being to do one thing or another, then that's where the anger and the unwholesome conduct, the unskillful conduct is going to come in and somebody might feel that harsh speech is the way to do things. So we need to be comfortable with understanding that not everyone's going to respond to our gentle speech because if everybody responded to our gentle speech, that would be permanence and that doesn't exist. So we need to be comfortable realizing that some people aren't going to respond to it and that doesn't mean that we should then choose to be harsh and aggressive. But if somebody else is choosing to do that, that's their choice. But if I was you, I would continue to be gentle. I would continue to practice all these teachings the way that you learn to practice. I think we can talk maybe privately to understand some more details about what you're experiencing because there's ways to motivate people with gentle speech. You know, my son is a perfect example of this, that I speak to him in certain ways that motivate him. It's still his choice. He's still making his own personal choices, but I have ways of speaking to him to ensure that he sees what the wise choice is. And then there's also ways to speak what the Buddha calls stern or, or firmly with still speaking the five factors of well-spoken speech including gentle speech there's ways to speak firmly without being harsh 
And I think if I understood more of the details of what you're encountering at work, I could give you some more specific guidance of how to do that. And that may help. But then there's going to be certain people in your life that don't respond to what you say. And that's the universal truth of impermanence. And just knowing that can help you to see and maintain your practice, that it's wise for you to continue to practice the five factors of well-spoken speech, understanding that not all people are going to respond to you, and that's okay. Okay, so harsh speech would never be appropriate. Yes, I wouldn't advise speaking harshly in any situation whatsoever. Even with my son, when he was first getting started on the path, and there were times where you know he was doing a lot of things that were, were unwholesome, I never spoke harshly to him. And because of that, he maintained his respect for me because I maintained my respect for him. So I might speak sternly to him where, you know, I might for multiple conversations be, you know, Bailan, you shouldn't be lying. You know, this isn't something you should be doing. You know, why is it that you feel like you need to lie? You know, we might have those kind of conversations for a while. But then after we've done that a number of times, it might be Bailan, you know you shouldn't be lying. Why are you choosing to lie again here? Right? So I'm still speaking gently. I'm still using the five factors of well-spoken speech. It's still beneficial. It's still with a mind of loving kindness. But I've increased the tone a little bit and maybe the tempo just to help him see that, hey, dad's really serious here. And I might be looking him straight in the eyes, you know, with real big eyeballs so that he can see that I'm really serious. So I need to arise this level of seriousness in the mind. And behind it, there's no anger whatsoever. There's no hatred. There's no ill will whatsoever. But it's just kind of arising a little bit more body language and a little bit more tone in my voice, a little bit more tempo that he sees that dad's really serious about what we're talking about. So you can do these kind of things even in a workplace, in the environment that you're in if you need to, but there's a whole lot of other things you can do before that that might encourage and motivate this person to do what needs to be done for their own health care because I know that's what you're providing them is this care and any decisions you're making is in their best interest, but they just might not see that. So there's ways to kind of help them see that what you're asking them is in their best interest. And the more I understand about the specific situations, I could give you some examples of things you might try. And then it's a matter of trial and error and kind of figure out what works with this person. And then once you figure that out, it doesn't have to be harsh speech. You figured out this other more skillful way, then you'll know how to interact with this person and you'll have gained some wisdom of how to do that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So if you'd like to talk privately, Tonka, you can schedule an appointment and yeah. we can we can talk. I think you might even have one scheduled coming up soon. Thank you. You're welcome. It does not appear there are any other questions at this time, sir. All right. So let's look at the next thing that I would like to share with you guys, which is how to actually do loving kindness meditation, and then we'll actually do it together as a group. So the way that I share loving kindness meditation is just like with other forms of meditation, I start with a chant to kind of ease the mind into meditation and get more benefit out of the meditation itself. Then we do a brief breathing mindfulness meditation, typically maybe five minutes if you're doing this on your own and Maybe you're doing a longer session, maybe 10 minutes. It's really up to you. 
but kind of like a five or 10 minute breathing mindfulness meditation. This just kind of helps clear out the mind, get you focused on the breath, kind of builds your mindfulness, builds your concentration. Yes, it's helping you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, and it's just bringing the mind to focus so that now you can move into loving kindness meditation and focus on these affirmations. These affirmations are four statements that starts with I. So in meditation, after you've gone through the breathing mindfulness meditation, on the out breath, you're going to say in the mind, may I be peaceful. I'll say it out loud, but that's just to remind you to say it in the mind, have this affirmation, may I be peaceful. And then breathe in. And then on the out breath, the next out breath, you say, may I be peaceful safe and then we'll do that and then we'll breathe in nice and slowly and then the next out breath may i be well and then the next out breath may i be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes then we go into these successive rings we create these rings that include people that we have loving kindness for because we're interested in maintaining that loving kindness and then people that you're maybe more neutral for, that you don't necessarily have ill will towards, but you don't necessarily have the most loving kindness for, you would like to include them in your meditation as well. And then you'd like to include people who you have anger and hatred towards. Even if these people, you haven't seen them for five years or 10 years or 20 years, you would like to include people that you currently are harboring anger, hatred, ill will, or these lesser versions for because you're looking to uproot that and get rid of that because it's not helping you to have anger and hatred towards any other beings. So you would include these rings. Here I'm just showing three rings because you can't include all the different rings. So I include may we and then go to all beings. But what you would do is maybe start with may my parents be peaceful. May they be safe, may they be well, may they be free of discontent. If you have loving kindness for your parents or you'd like to cultivate that for them, may my children, may my life partner, may my coworkers, may my friends, may my neighbors, whatever it is, right? You create these successive rings that get wider and wider, maybe about six or eight rings. And then eventually you get to all beings and you go through those same four affirmations for all beings. By the time you get to the end of your meditation, you're not interested in excluding anyone whatsoever. You should include and have included throughout your meditation all beings. And you will create these rings and maybe for a week or two or three or however long, you might have a certain set of rings. But then you'll realize that there are certain people that you have an enormous amount of loving kindness for that maybe you don't necessarily need to include them in your meditation anymore. And there's other people who you've noticed that you have anger or ill will towards and you would like to include them in your meditation. So your meditation is going to shift. It's going to change. It's going to be customized perhaps week by week or month by month. You can't just meditate one time and get loving kindness for somebody that you have anger and hatred for. It's going to take gradual training and gradual practice to experience this gradual progress and slowly wear away any kind of anger, hatred, and a will. So this isn't like a magic potion where you can just snap your fingers and 
loving kindness just arises in the mind immediately. You need to gradually wear away the anger. So you're going to be interested in including people in your meditation for an extended period of time. I often tell students how for the first six months of me doing this meditation, I included my mom because in my childhood, my mom and I had a, a very difficult time and we had a lot of animosity and or I had a lot of animosity and anger and hatred towards my mom. So it took me a good six months to really eliminate that from the mind. So you're going to need to include certain people in your meditation practice for extended periods of time until you observe that the mind is having loving kindness. This meditation isn't to change other people. You're not attempting to transform other people through your meditation. You are eliminating the anger, hatred, and ill will in your mind towards these groups of people so that now should you come in contact with these people your intention speech and actions can emanate from loving kindness and that's how you improve your relationships so as i was in childhood and early adulthood my mom and i had very rough relationship we oftentimes talked to each other in unwholesome ways and we would have to go away from each other for several months or sometimes years. And then we would come back together and we would be harsh and aggressive with each other again. And we would do this back and forth, back and forth thing. And eventually I got to the point where I started understanding these teachings to a certain degree. I started meditating. I started doing loving kindness meditation and transforming my mind so that then when I was around my mom, my intentions, my speech, and my actions started changing and started improving. And then because I was putting out this loving kindness, I started observing more loving kindness coming back from mom. She still struggled in certain areas, but we got to a point in our relationship where there was no harshness or any kind of hostility or anything between either of us uh, from a certain point all the way until her death in 2017. So you can transform your relationships through practicing the Buddhist teachings, but what you're doing first is you're transforming your own mind by eliminating craving, anger, and ignorance in your own mind then when you're having your personal and professional relationships, you're going to be interacting in a different way than you did in the past. And this is why you'll see improved results. Because in the past, you might have been operating with craving, anger, and ignorance, where now you're transforming all of that with wisdom. By gaining this wisdom of the Buddhist teachings, you're eliminating craving, you're eliminating anger, you're eliminating ignorance by arising generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And now when you start functioning in the world differently, slowly but surely beings around you will function differently as well. You're not going to change other beings, but you're going to improve the way you interact with people. And therefore people will kind of gradually improve the way they interact with you. But you've got to start with you first. So this meditation is putting you at the focal point by you focusing on cultivating loving kindness for this being who you are now. May I be peaceful. Then when you learn to have this healthy relationship and this healthy mental state with yourself, then you'll be able to have a more healthy relationship with other people. Because oftentimes we have this inner dialogue or this inner hate towards this being who you are now, this negative self-talk. And this meditation can help you transform that where you no longer have that inner dialogue or that inner hate towards this being who you are now. And when you improve that with loving kindness meditation, then you'll learn how to have this healthy mental state with others as well. And your intention, speech, and actions will emanate 
from this loving kindness. So then after the loving kindness meditation, and I'll do certain number of affirmations that are kind of general for all of us since we're meditating together, we'll go to breathing mindfulness meditation and end our meditation with that. And then we'll go into the chanting and kind of ease out of meditation. So let me see what questions you guys have on the loving kindness meditation before I guide you guys in this meditation. The way that you can ask questions is put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can electronically raise your hand in Zoom to ask any questions that you like. Yes, sir. Is one of the reasons why we end with all beings because we might not realize that we have irritation or hostility towards someone that we haven't interacted with for 10, 20 years? You could potentially look at it that way, but the reason why you would like to include all beings is that you are interested in practicing loving kindness with all beings. If there's even one being in the world that you have anger, hatred, ill will for, the mind isn't enlightened because there's still that fetter or taint or pollution of mind described as ill will. So you need to get to the point where you are all inclusive and you've included everyone and anybody in your meditation. So you can do that through the various rings and then you just kind of would like to be sure with that last ring to make sure you're all inclusive and you haven't left anyone out whatsoever. That way, any being and all beings that you interact with, you can have loving kindness for. And one of the things that can help you arise loving kindness for all beings is not just the meditation, but when you understand the teachings of the Buddha, when he talks about the cycle of rebirth, he talks about how we've all been so many countless beings in the past that it would be impossible to find a being that is alive today that hasn't previously been your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, or some other relative. So when you interact with that cashier at the restaurant or at the convenience store or a clerk at the gas station or wherever you are in your day, if you think about this person as being your mother, your grandmother, your father, your grandfather, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, that they've previously been a relative of yours at some point, then you can interact with them in a much different way. Here in Thailand, in Chiang Mai, we talk to each other as if we are relatives. So when I go out to eat at a brand new restaurant I've never been to, and the food server is coming to our table, I'll call that person little brother, little sister. Or if I go to a store and there's an older lady behind the cashier, I'll call her grandmother. Or if I go somewhere else and there's maybe an older man or older woman that's not quite grandmother or grandfather, I might call them mom or dad or uncle or aunt or older brother, older sister. If you see children here in Chiang Mai, we refer to them as our child. Uh, we use language in this high language to call them son, daughter. And this is very common here in Chiang Mai. So even though that might not be common in your country and your culture, if you at least develop that thinking in the meditation and outside the meditation that all these beings are your relatives and you're not interested in causing harm to any of them, then this can really help you to practice intention, speech, and actions that are emanating from loving kindness in addition to ensuring you're all inclusive in your meditation. Yes, thank you. Um, Tony has his hand raised. Let's go to him for his question, sir. Yes, teacher David. Um, 
So is we only use the loving kindness for people we have uh, ill will and, and difficulty with? Is that uh, a fair assumption? Is that the main main purpose? If our family we're not having any issues with, then we don't necessarily have to do the loving kindness. So as part of right effort on the Eightfold Path, remember there's four parts to right effort. One is preventing any unwholesome qualities from arising in the mind that are not currently in the mind. The second one is any unwholesome qualities that are in the mind to actively apply the effort to eliminate them. Then the other part the Buddha talks about is any wholesome qualities that are not currently in the mind apply the effort to arise those wholesome qualities in the mind. And the fourth part is any wholesome qualities that are currently in the mind, he says, support those, encourage those, don't allow them to fade. So the way that I approach this is that even people who you currently have loving kindness for, it's sometimes helpful to include them in your meditation because that's applying right effort to support and encourage not allowing the loving kindness to fade for people that you currently have loving kindness for. Now, if you feel like in your daily life, you're practicing loving kindness with these beings and you know that you know there's just no way you would ever feel any hatred or anger towards certain people in your family, then okay, yeah, you don't have to include them in your meditation on a regular ongoing basis. But you may decide, you know, maybe on Mother's Day or Father's Day or your life partner's birthday or something, maybe include them every once in a while just to be sure. But that's up to you how you choose to do that. But remember those four aspects of right effort. And one of them is to support, encourage, maintain, not allowing it to fade. So if you need loving kindness meditation to do that, for people you currently have loving kindness for, then great, you can do it that way. But if you feel like you don't need to include certain people in your loving kindness meditation, then you don't need to include them. So like my mother, once I got to that six month mark, uh, it just happened to be about six months. You know, it can be longer for you. It could be shorter for you. But I just observed that it was about six months. I didn't have to include her anymore. But occasionally I would still kind of put her in there when I would say, you know, me, my family be peaceful. You know, I was thinking about her and all the other members of my family. So I wouldn't avoid putting them in there, but I wouldn't necessarily include them every single time. But just be sure you're practicing that right effort where you're supporting, encouraging, not allowing these wholesome qualities to fade away. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. I see that Jan had her hand raised. Let's go to her question, sir. Thank you, Miranda. Um, thank you, Teacher David. Uh, I have a question. I, during the summer, spend a lot of time gardening, so I'm encountering more beings in the animal realm than people, and I've been including some of the pests in my loving-kindness meditation, so I, I just wanted to check that that would be a, a wise thing to do. Yeah, you can do that. One of the ways that I used to do this meditation is I would do the realms. You know, I would start with, you know, may I be peaceful, may I be safe and so forth. And then I would say, you know, may beings in heaven or human realm or afflicted spirits, animal, hell, or I would flip it the other way and then start with hell and work my way through the animal realm and then do all beings. So you can do the five realms. That can be a way for you to do it. You can do different groups of people that you come in contact with. But yeah, you can totally do that. 
it's up to you how you structure this. This is different than breathing mindfulness meditation. With breathing mindfulness meditation, the Buddha was very clear on how to do that and exactly what to do uh, in terms of our breathing mindfulness meditation. In loving kindness meditation, there's this flexibility and this customization because each individual's mind is a bit different in who one person harbors anger and hatred towards or who you need to support, encourage and maintain loving kindness for in your mind is gonna be different than another person's mind. So feel free to customize this in multiple different ways. And that's one of the things that I try to do in these classes on Wednesdays and in the in-person classes that I teach is I try to do a lot of different varieties of loving kindness meditation so you get a different flavor of how you can customize these. And I tend to be more general in the way that I do loving kindness because I'm leading a group but you'll need to really make it specific for your life and what you're experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Thank you, Teacher David. You're welcome. It does not appear there are any other questions at this time, sir. All right. Well, I'd like to invite all of you guys to join together for meditation. If you'd like to take the seated, lying, or standing positions, these are the three that tend to work really well with loving-kindness meditation. We don't do the loving kindness meditation in the walking position, but there's these other three that you can use, either seated, lying, or standing. So if you're seated, you're probably gonna be cross leg on the floor with maybe something under your rear to get your rear up in the air and not crossing your legs too tight because that would cut off the circulation and make it difficult for you to meditate for an extended period of time. If you're in a chair, you might just have your feet flat on the floor or crossed at the ankles. It's up to you. Remember the universal truth of impermanence that this isn't about everybody doing it exactly the same way because that's impossible. It's about finding what's comfortable for you. You're not interested in your body being luxurious, but you're not interested in it being painful either. So you're finding that middle way where the body is comfortable because we need to go through the body in order to get to the mind and train the mind. The hands and arms should just be resting comfortably in your lap. The Buddha put his right hand on top of his left with his thumbs together, and you can put that into your lap, and that will allow your muscles in your hands and your arms to just completely relax. But if that's not comfortable, you could put your palms on your thighs or your knees. You could put your palms up. You could put your arms on the armrest of a chair. Again, it's not about everyone doing it exactly the same. It's about finding what's comfortable for you. So with the lower body relaxed and comfortable, the hands and arms relaxed and comfortable, next you'd like to bring your upper body to be erect. Not real rigid and stiff, but not slouched either. In the middle, where it's nice and erect. This keeps the mind attentive and alert during your meditation. Because the meditation should be an active, dedicated, purposeful training session. So we need the mind to be attentive during our meditation. So by keeping the spine erect, this keeps the mind attentive so we can actively train it during our meditation. Next, you would like to just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. This is going to allow the breath to be established nice and gradually, a nice natural breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. You can stay here and just work on establishing the breath, or if you know these chants, you can join in with the chants 
and then I'll be back with some more guidance after the chanting. establishing the breath. Your breath isn't going to necessarily match to the guidance that I'm providing. I'm here just to remind you, this is your practice. The guidance that I'm providing is just a reminder to breathe in gradually through the nose. And wherever you get to it, Gradually exhale through the nose. Breathing in. Breathing out. 
in, out. Once the breath is established, start focusing the mind on the breath. The sound of the air entering the nose or the sensation of air moving over the skin into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in. In, out. With the mind fixated on the breath, whenever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do breathing mindfulness meditation. And then I'll be back with some guidance on loving kindness meditation. Breathing in through the nose, experiencing the full breath, and exhaling through the nose, cutting off and letting go anytime the mind moves off the breath. Breathing in and out.
continuing to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. On the out breath, repeat this affirmation in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May we be peaceful. May we be safe. May we be well.
May we be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May my family be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May my friends and associates be peaceful. May they be safe.
may they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those whom I've harmed be peaceful. Be safe. <clears throat> May they be well. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those who have harmed me be peaceful.
may they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all beings be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes.
Now go back to breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the breath, cutting off and letting go anytime the mind is off the breath. Breathing in. And out.
All right, so I would like to just open up to any questions that you guys might have now that we've done meditation together. You can put those questions into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. Yes, sir. Panka has her hand raised. Let's go to her for her question. I would like to double check if I'm doing it correctly. So after affirmation, I try to bring an image of that person or group of people and evoke the feeling. So is it the correct way to do it? For example, if I'm saying, um, may they be safe to evoke the feeling of safety or wellness or... 
Yes, that's a very helpful way to do it, Tonka, is to use visualizations where you're visualizing the groups of people or the individuals that you're cultivating loving kindness for. This is really, really helpful. So what you described is fine. One of the ways I used to also do it is I used to envision the person with kind of like this syrup of loving kindness coming over their body. So this kind of visualization that you might choose to do, whatever you choose to do is really wonderful to help bring the loving kindness into the mind for those people. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, sir. Tony has his hand raised. Let's go to him for his question, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Um, in doing the, the meditation in itself, do we follow the breath in and out? Do we, do we, do we, so we should follow the breath in and out through the, through the nostrils or the nose or, or something like that. Is that correct, sir? Yeah, so with that breathing mindfulness meditation where you're establishing the breath and you're getting the mind focused on the breath, then as you move into loving kindness, you're still focusing on the breath, but you're adding that affirmation on the out breath. So that breathing mindfulness meditation prior to loving kindness kind of helps you to get the mind moving in the right direction so that once you get to the point where you're ready for the loving kindness, it should just be adding the affirmation on the out breath. Okay, but on uh, uh, so we should be should be following the breath in and then on the out breath at at the uh, affirmation, correct, sir? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So so he, okay, very good. That's that's it. one other question. Uh, um, I think I saw somewhere. Is there is there daily meditation? Uh, I saw something somewhere that that uh, at your Chamai that's on on Facebook or on any of these platforms. I don't have a daily meditation on any of these platforms, but in Chiang Mai at the temple that I teach at, there's another teacher who teaches, his name's Master V, and he, Monday through Friday, does meditation in the morning and evenings with students who might decide to show up. And then for me, I teach at the temple on the weekends, typically. I haven't been going there during the weekdays. In the past, uh, several years ago, I used to go there on the weekdays, but that was before COVID when there was a lot of tourists around and people would just kind of wander into the temple. Sometimes there'd be groups of 30 or 50 people there learning with me. But nowadays, there's just not that many people walking around the city. So I haven't been going in Monday through Friday, but that might have been what you saw. I'm not sure. I think so, yeah. Is that what it is? Okay. So it's not on, not on Zoom or anything. It's that's, that's actually in person. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. Sir, to go back to something that you were talking about um, regarding loving kindness in the mind and right speech with loving kindness um, through our day, since nobody is going to be perfect at this instantly right away, when a practitioner finds that they're in the middle of an argument, say, and they realize that they are not and have not been using right speech, and not been speaking with a mind of loving kindness during this interaction, should they, as soon as possible, stop the interaction, apologize and say something like, can we come back to this at a later time, and then wait until their mind is in that place of loving kindness to resume the interaction and come to a resolution, or what would your guidance be for that, sir? Yeah, this is ideal. This is what the Buddha's guiding us on the Eightfold Path is that that 
right mindfulness, having awareness that, oh my goodness, this anger has arisen and look at my speech. This is not helpful whatsoever. So having that wisdom and that practice of right mindfulness, then you apply right effort, which is to cut that off and let it go. Even if you're mid-sentence or what have you, that you're cutting that off and letting it go with right effort. And then that becomes easier when you're doing breathing mindfulness meditation, that when you have that mindfulness arisen, and you're able to then cut off and let go of thoughts and come back to the breath. So that breathing mindfulness meditation is helping to arise the qualities of mind that you're going to need to practice that mental discipline of the Eightfold Path where you have the mindfulness and awareness, and then you can apply right effort to cut it off and let it go. And then an apology is always a wonderful way to keep the kama as clean as possible. You've already spoken harsh speech or you've already been hateful or what have you. But if you can catch it and cut it off and apologize, you're still going to be affected by what you did. But at least you're starting to clean up your gamma. You're starting to take responsibility for your feelings and your emotions. You're realizing that in that situation that you didn't function in the best way and the way that you wish you could. Even if the other person was angry and hostile to you, too and you were reacting to their anger and hostility, you know, the old saying, two wrongs don't make a right kind of thing. So even if the other person was angry and hostile and you were reacting to that, you cutting that off, letting it go, apologizing. And then what the Buddha teaches is gamma can only be created when there's contact. So if you realize with mindfulness that you're in contact with somebody who your mind has arisen hate for or anger towards and you're starting to react in an unwholesome way, that's unwise. The wisdom of understanding contact and gamma is that you can eliminate contact. You can go away, calm the mind down and then come back at another time. Maybe depending on the nature of the conversation, you might need to apologize again and then have a more wholesome conversation. And this is rewiring the mind that I talked about. That if you stay in that conversation and you keep arguing and you keep bickering and you keep being hostile, the mind's still going down this path, beating down this path of being argumentative, being hostile, being bitter. And the mind just gets more and more used to doing that. But if you can restrain the mind and pull it back and choose to go down this path of, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Let me take some time to calm down and we can talk about this another time. That's forging that new path. And then more and more, the mind will just do that all the time. Naturally, it will no longer go down this other path because you've rewired the mind and the path is overgrown with stickers and bushes. And you're like, I'm not interested in going down that path of anger because I know where that leads. So that is ideal. What you're describing is what you would like to do. And um, that is what will help you to now arise and maintain this loving kindness on a consistent ongoing basis. Yes, thank you, sir. You're welcome. And I'll add to that, Miranda, is, you know, that part of loving kindness meditation where we cultivate loving kindness for ourselves. When we realize that our anger and our hatred is only harming ourselves, and when we have loving kindness for ourselves, we realize like, man, this is like stabbing myself with a knife if I sit here and argue with this person. And why would I do that? So having that loving kindness for this being who you are now is so important. And you realize like it's just so unwise to allow the mind to go into that anger and you get better and better at restraining it because you're knocking down the craving and you're arising this loving kindness. 
Yes, that's very nice. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. It does not appear we have any other questions at this time, sir. Okay. Well, what I would like to end with in terms of this class is just sharing with you that as you do this meditation and as you practice loving kindness through your intention, speech, and actions in daily life, there's a pretty good chance that you just may not feel it with certain people, even in your meditation. And that's completely normal, that there might be certain people that you just have so much anger or hatred towards. And when you're meditating or when you're around them, you just don't feel the loving kindness at all. And this is the reason why you need to do this meditation and why you need to understand this wisdom from the Buddha so that you can practice this. So sometimes people say, oh, I don't really feel the loving kindness. I'm not going to do that meditation. But actually, it's just the opposite. It's because you don't feel the loving kindness. It's because there is anger, hatred, and ill will in the mind that you need to do it. So if you're expecting that in the first couple of sessions that all of a sudden, you know, magically the anger is going to lift and loving kindness is going to come into the mind, this isn't a realistic. This isn't how it actually works. It's this gradual wearing away of the fetter of ill will. And the Buddha talks in his teachings about how you can't really know on a daily basis of how much of these individual fetters that you've worn away at any given time. He talks about it as like a handle of a tool, that if you had a wooden handle of a tool when you were using this tool every day and the wood was wearing away more and more from the handle, he's saying that every day you're not going to know how much wood has been worn away from the handle of this tool. And as you keep using this tool each day, you're not going to know how much wood has been worn away from this handle. But he says, when this handle is worn out and it's no longer usable, you're going to know that because now you know you have to replace the handle of the tool. So the same thing is like each day as you're doing loving kindness meditation and you're practicing loving kindness in daily life, you're not going to necessarily know how much anger, hatred, and ill will you've eliminated you need to have confidence that that you're moving in the right direction you're not going to know how much you're eliminating each individual day but just know that you are eliminating it but you just might not feel it on a daily basis but when the complete fetter of ill will has been eliminated from the mind you're going to know that because you'll no longer experience any anger hatred ill will frustration irritation annoyance even the slightest dislike towards individuals You'll just love all beings, any being that you see. You'll just love them all and have this kindness and this interest in seeing them all be peaceful. So if you don't feel it in your meditation, if you don't feel it in your daily life towards individuals, that's completely normal. And just gradually wear this fetter away. And eventually you'll get to the point where you'll see that it's been worn away. So you're not going to know each day how much you wear away. But once it's finally gone and you no longer experience any anger towards beings, you'll know that because the mind won't experience anger for six months, a year, two years, three years. And every being you come in contact with, you'll just have this loving kindness and compassion for them. So keep that in mind as you're cultivating loving kindness, that there's going to be potentially a feeling where there's just a wall between you and other people. And what you're trying to do is break through that wall. That's what the meditation's doing. That's what your practice in daily life of through your intention, speech, and actions, you're trying to break through that wall and knock it down so that it's no longer there. 
So thank you all for joining for class. In the future classes, what we're going to be doing this Sunday is we're going to be in chapter 15 of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. Chapter 15 is titled True Love, Love Without Attachment. This is where you're going to learn what true love is and how to practice it on a daily basis with beings in your life. Because some of the hardest attachments to eliminate the strongest, deepest attachments that we have are to our children, our life partners, our mother, our father, people like this. These people, it's very difficult to eliminate attachment towards because you're around them so much and they're so close to you. And the way that you do that is you work towards practicing true love, love without attachment, because the unenlightened mind misunderstands craving, desire, attachment as love in the unenlightened state. And this is why we think in the unenlightened state that love is painful. It's not actually love that's causing the pain. It's the craving, desire, attachment. So when we learn how to transform that and actually practice true love, love without attachment, then we can see that love actually isn't painful at all. It can be very rewarding and very fulfilling if you understand it and how to practice it. So we're going to be discussing that on Sunday. And then next Wednesday, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation. I'll be guiding you guys through that and we can do that together as a group. So have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. We'll see you in a future class. Take care. Be well. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.